Hi and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth. This is our annual trip to InfoSec where we get to talk to the best, most influential people in the cybersecurity industry. Sit back and enjoy the next few weeks of our brilliant coverage from this fantastic event. So hi and welcome to uh, Arrow Bandwidth. So let's start by what's your name and uh, where'd you come from? So I'm Mike Smart. Uh, I work at Forcepoint. I've been there for two and a half years. Uh, in fact, I joined the day that Forcepoint became Forcepoint. Ah, oh, fantastic. Um, so yeah, that was yeah. Uh, an acquisition from McAfee, was it? Or no, it's, uh, so, so it goes back a, a bit before then, actually. Okay. So um, uh, Raytheon Cyber Products and WebSense came together before then. Um, and it was called WebSense Raytheon, I think, at the time. Yes, I remember that. That yeah. was quite a, quite a mouthful. It was, <laughs> indeed. Uh, and then um, uh, when I joined, they acquired a couple of companies at the same time. And so Stonesoft from McAfee um, yep. and the Sidewinder Firewall came together. And then it became less relevant to call it Raytheon and WebSense. Um, so we, we called it, uh, we called it um, Forcepoint. Uh, then we also acquired a, a couple of other companies. So, for example, uh, Skyfence, which is a cloud access security yep. broker technology, and um, recently Red Owl, which is a UEBA technology. Is UEBA? Yes, so that stands for User and Entity Behavior Analytics. Oh, um, that's interesting. So that's a technology really that's historically been designed to sort of <coughs> look back over data, historical data, and say, oh, yeah. guess what? I've just seen something here you should have known yeah, about. Yeah, but, but by the way, it happened a month ago, <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. it's almost irrelevant now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great because it highlights that something has happened and you didn't notice, and maybe you can change your policies uh, mm. because of that. So, mm. so it's, not, it's not that. It's not just a historical thing, but, it, but it, it's definitely been a very... It's a hot topic. Even in this event today, uh, you'll hear a lot of people, or this event this week, you'll hear a lot of people at InfoSec talking about behavioral analytics. Yeah. Um, because it's a great way of sort of seeing that something different has happened that you hadn't planned for, and, and therefore we need to start investigating it. Fantastic. So you've been through quite a lot of change, mm. right? And yeah, uh, as a company, but also with a portfolio, yes. and, uh, and obviously with those, those acquisitions, there, there must be a lot of new technology, a lot of new thoughts and ideas about the strategy and the roadmap for yep. where where force points go what's what's kind of new in your world at the moment yeah no it's a, it's a great question uh, you're right you know we, we do have a portfolio and what's really interesting about it is that, that it was very consciously put together actually um, and for us you know we, we we wanted to think a little differently I suppose everybody's trying to think differently and differentiate themselves in the yeah. market um, but I think one of the things that's really interesting about the feedback you get when you talk to people who are running security programs is that they are frustrated. You know, they're spending the same amount, if not more, on the technology. And sometimes there is an additional budget, but they need to find that in order to, you know, bridge a, a new new problem that's just popped yeah. up, you know, so a new piece of technology required. Um, and they're getting frustrated because whilst they are spending that money, they don't necessarily see the same value or, or see the, the value that they're looking for, which mm. is essentially zero incidents which of course as we all know is impossible <laughs> um, but nonetheless you know why shouldn't they expect something like that because yeah. they've spent this money and um, and I think for us we wanted to look a little bit differently uh, and I think the challenge today is that we're historically we're, we've been very threat centric in the way we approach things you know we're trying to sort of program our security tools to differentiate between something good and something bad mm. happening and making that decision at that moment in time and, and I think we're struggling more and more now because of digital transformation. Users aren't where they should be. They're not on the devices they should be on. Yeah. And they still need to be productive. They still need to access that information. And so understanding and validating who's a trusted user and who is not a trusted user mm. is becoming a more complex task. And I think the other thing that's really interesting is that once you've determined a trusted user, 
are they really trusted? Should you therefore just ignore them from then that moment on once they get through that security gate mm. and assume that they're always trusted? Or Probably not. Are they going to make mistakes or maybe turn malicious? Or And then obviously I suppose the, the, the next piece on from that is also to do what you've just said, but do it with as little friction as possible, yep. as transparent as possible, with as little overhead on the very limited resources that a lot of these organisations have yep. to do this type of security. Yep. But does that... Just what you just said there, David, does that kind of uh, open up a, a, a bit of a, I won't say unique conversation mm. for, for Foster, it might well be, but yeah, that, that frictionless nirvana is, is very much a, you know, it's, it, it's a dream of a lot of IT departments, I think. Mm. I think the, in the realistic world is, yeah, it's, it's what can we do to combat the threat today, to meet the budgets that we've got today. and. Yeah. And uh, and I think you know we were s we were talking before we started. You know, how how often do enterprises that the, the teams responsible, you know, get a chance to come back and revisit the the policies and the practices that they've set out today? I think you know it's yeah. the yeah no you, you make a good point in that security today is quite a static thing. You know, mm. I mean obviously it's evolved massively. I remember the yeah. good old days where you had antivirus software you had firewalls, intrusion prevention, and, and, and you were pretty happy with that and, and you know, blissfully unaware of anything that was getting through because you didn't see it. Mm. And I think organisations came up and said, wait a minute, stuff is getting through, it's just not being picked up because it's unknown, it's evolving. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the, the reality is, is that you make these security policies, you programme your security tools with the information that you have at that moment in time. Yeah. And very few security operations teams then feed that back to the the person in charge of the policy say actually that policy needs to be updated and, and I think best practice is probably every month if you know and I can't imagine many people even do that and I think the reality is is that the threats evolve the risk evolves continuously especially mm. in this new world where users are anywhere everywhere they're on their own devices um, and you know and I was talking to you earlier that even users in the same user group will have exactly the same policy applied to each to each other actually pose a very different level of risk to the business, you know, because of the way they go about their daily job. And mm. I'm very much a sort of, let's just get it done and I'll worry about the consequences later. But the benefit is the business is productive, I'm productive. Yeah. Whereas that somebody else who's a peer of mine would absolutely follow every rule, to the detriment maybe in some situations of productivity, but mm. nonetheless 100% compliant. Well, so this comes yeah. back to a comment you made at the, st uh, the start of this, which was that user behaviour. Yes, because I think yeah, one of the things that again I don't come from a cybersecurity background. Uh, yeah, y you kind of almost jump to that initial conclusion, right? That everything that we talk around, sort of somewhere like infosec today, it's all about malicious intent. Yeah, and that isn't always the case. No. There are genuine mistakes made within and outside or associated to the enterprise. And could you just explain a little bit more about sort of what you guys are doing around? that user yep. behavior and, and trying to adapt and, and deliver something that that allows for the business to recognize that you know different users yes. are different yeah so it's interesting isn't it because if you think about traditional security it's about sifting between you know uh, outside attackers if you like and, yeah. and in trusted insiders but but actually even trusted insiders pose different levels of risk for example if you if you look at I think it's a Ponemon uh, report recently 13% of insiders that were attributed to an incident are compromised users, which is actually an outside attacker wow. that was successfully in yeah. through the defences. 
Yeah, I think most of our focus is focused on the outside attacker, so yeah. the majority of our spend is. But actually, that tells me then that the rest of the number, so the 87%, is trusted users that are genuine users that work in the company p still putting the organization at risk. So, for example, accidental, loss, mm -hmm. or malicious. Malicious is, is, is a accidental is by far the most common type of yeah, insight. Yeah. And so the reality is, is that, y yes, we should continue to block as many of those bad people from getting in to, to critical data, for example, which is the primary target. Uh, but we should absolutely look at what's happening on in the inside as well. And I think what's interesting about the conversations we're having is more and more people running security programs are, are starting to realize that there is an inside threat um, already, you know, through trusted users. So I think for us, it's about helping a company to understand just what level of risk each user poses to the business and adjusting the security policy to that individual risk score. So one of the things we announced at RSA um, last couple two weeks ago in the US was something called dynamic data protection, which is the ability to understand the user risk and to provide that risk score to DLP technology so that DLP technology can adapt its policies dynamically as the user's risk goes up and down. So, you mm. know, security isn't just a, a break to slow things down. It's, it's, it's a break there so that you can go as fast as you can, knowing that you can slow down in an emergency. And so I think that's a great thing. You talked about frictionless or needing to be frictionless in terms of providing a service and security mm. to the business. This yeah. is a good example of where security can get out of the way, where users' risk is very low in the organization, mm. rather than trying to provide a sort of even score for everybody, um, hoping to capture some of the bad and, and maybe over overprotect some of the good behavior, for example. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so <laughs> everything you've just spoken about sort of dull straight into that everyone has a very uh, you know, unique role and a unique um, job in, in the organization. Yeah. So, you know, for organizations where they've set a very broad brush policy, so for example, HR have turned around and said, you know, this is the type of user we have, so this is the type of um, policy we need. Mm. You know, I'm assuming your technology would help to break down that into individual sort of yep. every single person in the HR department because you might have some people who are grads in the HR department, some people who need access to slightly more confidential data, some yes. people who need access to different things as, as the organization goes on. Yeah. And your technology can essentially help us to, to really give that finite level yep. of understanding and access and control. Yes. Yeah, th exactly that. So you go gr great example. <coughs> Everybody in HR t historically would have the same policy applied mm. um, and access controls. But actually, there'll be two two different types of well, there'll be lots of different types of people in there. There's there may be a malicious person, you know, hopefully not. Yeah. But you never know. And mm. so you know, the security policy isn't very effective in that situation. Or maybe that there's one person that works from home most of the time, or goes to the coffee shop, or sits in the airport. Now. When they're using public Wi-Fi, for example, they're definitely posing a different level of risk than somebody sat in the office. Yeah. So just because they've got the right credentials and they're in the right group doesn't mean that that static policy is valid all the time. So you're not just looking at you know, who that person is. You're also looking at where they're coming in from, exactly. what device they might be using, right. what browser they're using. Yes. And you're determining yeah. the risk that person poses to the asset, the application, the data they're accessing. 
in real time. Yeah, indeed. And so, you know, the technology behind that is, is we've sort of brought it up already, is user and entity behavior analytics. Mm. It's a pretty standard technology. It's been around for a while now. Mm. And, and as I said, I think at the beginning, it, it, it's normally a technology that's there to look back over time yeah. and see what's happened and go, oh, we need to change our policies, but it's too late. Yeah. Um, what if we can use that technology continuously to you know, keep an up-to-date level of risk, if you like, for each user based on what they do, why, you know, how they do it, when they do it, what's normal and what's not normal. That's traditional behavior analytics, yeah. where it sort of says, wait a minute, there's a spike there and there's anomalous behavior. You need to look into that, mm. start the investigation, but yeah. it's already happened. What we're saying is by understanding that sort of rhythm, if you like, of the mm. people, but also not just the people, but the data they're accessing, so how critical that data is, then you can get a really interesting understanding of the level of risk that user poses. You know, if they don't interact with much critical data, then their risk is going to be lower than the same person in the same, you know, business unit that does. Um, but also, I think what's interesting is that, um, you know, you can, um, you can use this not just to look back, but if you were to keep it up to date, you know, the security technologies could check in every time they have to make a decision about that user accessing that particular information to say, is their user score still a five or is it a nine you know or is it a three if it's a three i'm going to give you a different policy now because you're a lower risk you know user and that means we can get out of the way of security for example so dynamic data protection is the first in a series if you like of of of, the, of enabling traditional technologies like dlp or mm. the firewall or web security or email by giving it that access to that real-time information for what is that user what risk does that user pose there is one thing I, I, I would like to say about behavior analytics because there are lots of people in that space and, uh, and uh, maybe a bit contentious here but you could show every analytics tool the same data and you get a very different report from each of them yeah and the yeah. reason is is because data scientists programming those analytics models are thinking slightly differently yeah. which is great so a lot of customers will have multiple providers for that um, for us, what we're looking at and solely focused on really is understanding human behavior, the decisions users make and the reasons they make those decisions. So, for example, in the financial services industry, this technology has been used uh, for compliance, so trading compliance, to look for fraudulent transactions, right. money laundering, so for regulatory compliance. Yeah. And part of that is to look at the communication channels as well, so looking at voice or instant messaging emails to look for tone and intent of that employee as well to determine whether they're malicious, whether they've been compromised, um, you know, whether they're being blackmailed or all sorts of things. Wow. So it's an interesting technology. And of course, that feels a little big brother, doesn't it? But, you know? uh, but at the same time, it needs to be because I think actually a lot of um, the underlying conversations don't get checked. And actually, they're the things where yes. you could really start to detect yep. an underlying tone. And I, I like you know, it is big brother, but at the same time, we need a much, you know, with the, with the level of um, sort of malware, spyware, those sorts of attacks where they're trying to exfiltrate data yeah. or they're trying to, you know, get out to commander control centers and they're, they're yes. trying to look as, n as normal as humanly right. possible. Yes. The only real way, I mean, I remember, it's going back a little way now, but I remember um, the Sony attack where mm -hmm. they exfiltrated terabytes and terabytes of data over yeah. a long period of time. I remember listening to an analyst sort of talk about that attack, and once again, it is a, this was back in 2014, 2015, something like that. Yeah. Um, I remember them saying, you know, the only way that that attack could have been stopped was having literally a security analyst standing over 
the shoulder of every single exactly. member yeah. of Sony. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because it was literally like the next year that UBA really started to take off and become, and all yeah. of a sudden, that is literally a security analyst yeah. or a secu- you know, one of the members of the security team looking over the shoulder of every single employee mm. all the time, yeah. looking at what they're doing, understanding what they're doing. Because as you say, 99% of the time, it's completely accidental. I mean, it's not yes. accidental from the attacker's perspective, but you know, the, the employee didn't understand that the website or the link or the download that they they've opened on their PC was compromised and mm-hmm. then has started to do what it started to do. Yeah, no, you're right. And so it's, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, you, you when you think about um, uh, this sort of somebody sitting on the shoulder looking, that's exactly what it is. You know, I think GDPR is going to is going to show that the vast majority of breaches are accidental. They're from yeah. insiders making silly mistakes, yeah. and sometimes they're malicious. But that's a, a, I think know, it's a very small. It's a small. It's yeah. smaller than certainly smaller than accidental, uh, and it's slightly larger than the compromised user. But that that aside, I think the the days of when a security leader puts their head in the sand and says, "Listen, I've done my job. I've sifted through the outside attacker and the trusted user." I'm, I'm just not not interested in any more about what's happening yeah. on the inside. I, ca- I can't I can't I can't turn to that now. I think those days are gone. Yeah. They have to they have to look at what the users are doing, and I think y- y- user and entity behavior analytics is a tool that is proving the value in that historically. We want to twist it on its head and, t- and say let's use it continuously mm. and let's adapt our policies based on that. And, I think it's and you can yeah and you can anonymize what you're looking who you're looking at. So mm. that until it gets to a certain point, then you it's can start level. that investigation yeah. so process. How example. does that type of technology help in GDPR nowadays? Mm. Where you know, with GDPR has this ruling around as soon as you detect a breach, you've got to right. um, sort of be able to report it within seventy-two hours. Like yep. I can't yes. think that that wording, but yep. you know, with this sort of technology, does that help you to lower the time to essentially be able to understand, quantify, report? remediate all those all those sorts of things yeah if we talk sort of generically about behavior analytics that is a detection tool you know we see something we w- that's different and therefore we can start that investigation so it's, it's really effective at, at, at seeing what gets through your defense mm. you know and, and finding that that anomalous thing as soon as possible um, that's when the clock starts ticking yeah and that's when you need to investigate it and one of the interesting things that came out of the Raytheon side of the business was this we call it um, force point insider threat but it's actually user activity monitoring sort of technology and it sits there and, and essentially records what the user does and it captures things observables from you know what they're doing on the keyboard where they're going and, and what processes are running um, and that's a technology that r- is very attractive in specific markets where they have a team of people continuously investigating things happening on the inside. So not everyone's there yet for that. Yeah. Even though it's been around for like 16, 17 years, governments and, and, and financial services have fraud investigation teams that do it. And I think with GDPR, they're go- we're going to see a lot more investigations happening because they're going to have to start investigating them and documenting exactly what happened. And, and this technology just to cut a long story short, it helps investigators just to go and replay what happened. Yeah. So they can see it on video, quite literally a series of screenshots. You know, the user made a mistake. You could see them trying to cancel something. Or you could tell they were malicious. They absolutely chose to do this, that, and that, yeah. and accepted the consequences. Um, and so th- the point is is that that technology can shorten the response time because you've got the information mm. for the investigation to hand. I suppose as well, what, what it allows you to do is 
as an organisation to make a very informed decision on whether or not a breach actually has right. occurred yeah. so that they do then know that they're flagging something to the regulatory right. body yes. when they should be, yep. rather than it just being a, yep. you know, a, a, a unneeded yes. flag through. Yeah. And, and, and again, if you, if you do that, if you, yeah, if, if you raise something because you think, right, there's been a breach or I know that I have, yeah, I, I, I'm not compliant with that action that's just done. I now have 72 hours, oh go on, we've mm. 72 hours to report it. Yes. Let's just go and report it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That brings a whole different set of potential mm. risks back to the business yeah. if you've flagged something that actually didn't need to be flagged. Yes. But then also it gives you that set of information where you can go, right, we're reporting this, this is a breach. Yeah. This is, is what's happened, yeah. and here are the steps that we are taking this to remediate. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. One of the things that's interesting about this technology, it's been around for so long, is that we, you know, customers that have been using it for a long period of time realize that the vast majority of their investigations are innocent you know, users that yeah. have made a mistake. Yeah. So, no surprise there. And it's really interesting because if you think about the mindset of traditional cyber professionals, they're looking for the bad person <coughs> all the time. So, yeah. when you start this conversation, they're going, oh, I can't do that because you know I have to trust every user. I can't assume that everyone's yeah. bad. It's like no, no. This is a technology that can prove the vast majority of incidents that happen are, are genuinely innocent mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in fact, you know, one of the interesting angles here, here is it, it's perfect for com you know, workers' councils or, or or representatives of the employee because it's much better to get to the answer. The, the what we know is nine times out of ten a good outcome for a user quickly. Because yeah. the longer you take during that investigation, the, the worse the outcome for the individual being investigated, but also yeah. the employer yeah. as well, because they're exposing risk. Yeah. So I think f for us, you know, w we, we talk, we've talked a lot about sort of defense and, and doing as much as you can, and, but you can't be perfect. Detecting it as quickly as you can with behavior analytics mm. and investigating that process, you know, GDPR is going to drive better practice there perhaps. But it'll also real we'll also begin to realize that the vast majority of things are going to be on the inside with the trusted users. And I think what's interesting about you know, where we're going with this human-centric approach to security yeah. is to is to take that detection that was post-event and try and bring it to, to pre-event detection and, and adapt, yeah. uh, adapt the security yes policies so. dynamically. Fantastic. Well, look, that was really, really interesting. Yes, and yeah. uh, it's Great. fascinating to hear what you guys are doing at the moment. So uh, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, thanks for your time. Really Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to this InfoSec Security Special. We're going to be back next week with more coverage from this fantastic event. Stay tuned and speak to you then.